Hi, this is Kirk, and this is part one of In Excess Access All Areas. Welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is Bee and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in Excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums and oh so much more. Well, hello, welcome to Inaccess Access All Areas, episode 70, as B smiles at me as I do my introduction today. <laughs> You're gesturing as I'm about to do my little monologue, but I'll keep oh, going. I'll put anyway. you off. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's fine. This is the band. We want to get into the Rock Hall of Fame uh, through courtesy of a, a groundswell of uh, collective thoughts and tastes and, and momentum, be it our patrons and all the greater fans. Hello, B. Hello. Couldn't wait to get in there, but I'll say hello to you. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you very much. I can feel a, a, a Media Wars uh, episode today. What do you think, B? I can see him in the green room. He's so eager to come out and speak to us, Hayden. Shall we keep him waiting and things yeah, like that? Let's we'll keep him waiting it. a bit longer. Yeah, <laughs> all right. But uh, like always, I like to sort of uh, start off with us by saying, how has your In Excess week been? It feels like we only just spoke yesterday and uh, through all of our initiatives and things, but. You've probably got a little bit to check in with the listeners, what you're working on behind the scenes in in excess uh, community stuff. Well, I'm always working on something, but I literally tried to take a bit of time off. But we had a nice meeting with the Induct team yesterday, which is good. So we're aligning there, everybody. So stay tuned to that. We've got some big plans happening over the next 12 months. Got to say, the big news is we've run out of caps in the, our merchandise has run out. Yeah, so if you apparently want to... Apparently that's, that, that's, that's a good apparently thing. Very, there yeah. are people behind the scenes are very happy about that, aren't they, B? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people are behind the scenes. Yeah, the, the, the stickers are in there. And oh my, even Clemo's book started um, going out the window. That was trending, well. wasn't it? I was seeing yeah. all these fast cars and rock stars trending away. I'm thinking Clemo, the royalty king, he's yeah. cleaning up. I know. I'm going to yeah. get a phone call from him going, where's my money? <laughs> now, we, we do like to give a little bit of acknowledgement to, to our last episode. So I do know uh, we had a massive sort of just uh, oh. download for the Philip Part 2. I think it was probably a, one of our highest downloads on a day for an episode in recent times. But I Since think that's, Tim. Yeah, I think that's testimony <clears throat> to how, you know, Philip was – you know, regarded uh, after episode one and some of the stuff he went through, B, but uh, that was pretty exciting to see, wasn't it? Oh, he's such a lovely guy, though. Everybody's really enjoyed listening to him. We, can we get him back on, do you reckon, another time? Oh, look, he, he, he just has so much to go through and, uh, you know, real gentleman and, um, you know, we'd love to tap into just a whole lot more about his experiences and, you know, stories and anecdotes, not just within excess, but the, the greater music community. Because yeah, I think, yeah. You know, it's all very interesting overall. Did you see the poster that he put up on our page? I did. I did. How gorgeous did it look? The billboard yeah. of um, Listen Like Thieves. It yeah. Looked, it looked did, so pretty. Was that what I was seeing when I thought he started up a – did he start up his own little site, like an ad? He was admin for a site the other day. Or something yeah, with was, that, was that it? Yeah. WA, yeah. Yeah, so no, but he posted that on our page for us as well. Uh-huh. He did it on right. both, yeah. It was like, where is WEA or something That's like that? That's right, it? Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. But that was great. And uh, also thank you to John Lennon for playing us out last week. A little <laughs> bit of a couple of live ditties there, B. I'm trying to wonder where you got those from. You did like those. Yeah. That was yeah, for I you. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'll do it. It's something a little bit different. So I found some acoustic sessions with John. And that was I've never also, heard them before. That was also there to avoid being sued by Apple as well by doing the Ooh. studio recordings. <laughs> so uh, thank you, John. We thought they were really poignant New York, not New York songs per se, but they were written, recorded, and part of his New York experience. So we we think uh, and we hope you like those. I do have to uh, give you a, a little bit of a, a, a clap, B, because I don't listen to always every episode and everything there, but I had a little bit of a listen last night and I was in bed and you know had it, had it there listening away and, and not vanity purposes or listening to me, but just being a bit of a fan and listening in to Philip. When we started talking about the, the prisoner theme song to the In Excess stuff, you put the prisoner song on. And I, thought, I nearly fell out of bed laughing my head off because that was uh, that was an iconic Australian song for an Australian soap, soapy type. I yeah, know. I was one. like, how much do I put in? I thought, I'll go and give it a good go. Yeah. Well, you know, I can tell you this for a fact. Uh, that show, you know, one of the most famous musicians or singers in the world, that was his favourite show. Mm. And and this particular gentleman, when he came out to Australia to tour, he wanted all he wanted to do was go out to Nutter Wadding, uh, where uh, Prison was being filmed, and he wanted to meet the freak, Joan, Joan Ferguson. And that uh, singer was Sammy Davis Jr. He was totally enamoured by Prisoner or Division Cell Block H, whatever it was in America. So, yeah, there's some pretty famous footage of him going out there and little Sammy being dwarfed by the freak. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> little tribute here actually that I need to mm. read out going when can I read it out can I do it now do it or do you want yeah, to do it later it. yeah, no, yeah. It. yeah it's, it's a little bit sad so uh, let's get sad out the way sort of thing if you know right, okay. so Charlene Norders got in touch with me and she'd like to pray, pay a tribute to her brother who passed away a few days ago yep and she'd like us to play shine like it does so I'll be playing this in the background now as I'm yep. speaking and yeah. and we just want to say yeah god bless your soul and um you take care of yourself too Charlie yeah absolutely here here and from this moment all that is left sleep on the innocence just one desire to our patrons be and you know obviously they're the lifeblood of what we do and i do know we have two new patrons and uh we did sort of work out the other day coming into the christmas period you know we'd love to have another sort of 13 patrons on board uh really will help us strengthen some of the things we'd like to plan and plot 13 you keep, mate, you keep adding onto this. No, <laughs> you no, 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 You said was, 10 this morning, 11 just before we started that you've gone whoa 13 13 is a very lucky number in music didn't you know that be 
I didn't know that either. I just made no, it up. Just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it would uh, help us tremendously in terms of upgrading some of our sound equipment and some of the things we want to do to bring out a, a quality product for everyone out there because uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, competing podcasts in the world and there's nothing worse than listening to something crackly and grainy and not not sounding as, as great as it can be. So, uh, B, I'll hand over you to welcome them aboard and also our existing patrons as you do. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello, and a big welcome to our honorary patrons, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Cameron Adams, and Mary Woods. Hello also to our gorgeous patrons, Sue D, Joe Robbins, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markram, Dr. Jim, Katie, Felicia, Lisa Mack, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Foxy, Lisa Urban, Pedro, Mandy, Lisa Callaway, Matt, Linda, Vern, Paul Boozy, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H, Leon, David, Tracy, Paul Jolie, Sandrine, Warren, Sarah Camia, Susan B, Amanda V, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Stefan, Val, Jim, Matey, Kelly, John, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Virginia, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Glenn, Laurel, Bard, and would like to also say a big welcome to the family, Genevieve, Ali, and Jelby. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the party. All right, well, as we do, B, we uh, like to always announce in our intro who our guest or what our topic is today. And as we sort of said earlier, it is no surprise it is going to be uh, Kirk who's going to be coming on today. And uh, we think we've got so much stuff to talk about that uh, uh, we're going to probably have to uh, ask him kindly if he'd come in for maybe two, maybe even three episodes, given the material we've got to share with him, eh? Oh, yes, please. All right. So I like the sound of that. I guess before we do that, it's time for... It's time for the news. Hi, it's Dave from England, and you're listening to In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the news. All right, B, we normally start off with the charts, etc. there, but we are doing this sort of recording earlier in the week, so it hasn't been a sort of chart change yet. Uh, we didn't so we're last... still at the same... Yeah, so we could technically say they're still the same. <laughs> uh, but look, number 35, going into uh, the week, and it was 35 the week before. So uh, there may be a little bit of change we can add in later in the week, but uh, as, as of recording, there's no change. Also, 2B, uh, a very famous movie that had in excess material in it that was a very iconic movie, uh, was The Lost Boys, and they mm. are going to be making a reboot version of The Lost Boys. Oh, cool. Well, That's a great album. You just wonder, though, do reboots really ever work with films like that? Like, you know, even Star Wars couldn't really reboot and have the iconic level of the first stories. But I think there's a, an actor from It and there's an actor from uh, that uh, double movie, you know, A Quiet Place, who are going to be sort of, who are the sort of the main stars in it. But it is sort of going into some sort of production. I think there was a TV show that they started filming last year, but um, just wonder whether they... 
I think it would go all right because the teenagers nowadays, they all like that retro sort of feel, especially the 80s stuff. So, Well, they'd probably put in newer music now, you would possibly think that's in sync with the listening audience. But uh, uh, that, that uh, well, as Mr. Opitz uh, has mentioned before, was very handy information uh, that he received about In Excess being on that major movie soundtrack and mm. definitely helped uh, mm-hmm. him get the justifiable royalties he deserves. So... Uh, that's a little bit of news there. Also, a little bit of gig news. Time of recording. It's uh, in in Western Australia this week. We have our AFL Grand Final, and it's about the, I think in Perth, uh, WA, and in Queensland, they're about the two only areas in Australia that aren't really in some sort of lockdown at the moment. Uh, I do know the What You Need Boys, uh, the tribute band over there, uh, really ramping up some gigs. They've got a gig on uh, November twelfth at a place called The Amplifier, which I think is in Murray Street. The Don't Change Boys are suddenly uh, getting their uh, gig itinerary back in Vogue B. They've got uh, November 26 uh, in Wollongong. Uh, Hello, Carmen. And they've also got uh, a gig in the Sunshine Coast. They've actually planned for May next year. So that's a bit of forward planning uh, on May the 8th, which is is pretty cool too. So we do know there's a lot of sort of tribute acts around and things like that, but uh, it's good to hear uh, and see that Blair and the boys are getting out there again. Cool. Spoken to Blair. Yeah. And I've asked him to make sure that he lines himself with us for our birthday party next year because he's going to be our final act of that night. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, we had uh, a couple of our very vital team members behind the scenes made us aware that Rolling Stone have just done a revaluation or reevaluation of the top 500 songs of all time. Uh, and my friend from uni, Ian, rang me today about it and we had a bit of a chat about it. I thought, oh, it was interesting having a musical chat with my friend. The reality is what Rolling Stone generally do is probably about every 10, 15 years as music, you know, more songs come in and there's more material out there, mm-hmm. they sort of re-rank and re-rate, et cetera, their, you know, the, the list there. But as I was saying to uh, my mate today, I think from just having a cursory glance, I think a lot of the rankings have been done by journalists and critics, not so much by, oh. you know, sort of musicians per se. So you have to take a little bit with a grain of salt. But um, what was interesting is that 17 years ago in 2004, some 17 years then after release, Never Tear Us Apart was deemed not good enough. Oh. Now another 17 years later, Never Tear Us Apart is apparently w- w- it ranked 282. I oh, know. So my friend was saying to me, how does that happen? I said, well, sometimes songs do develop a bit of an iconic sort of status, and I think that song has keeps growing and growing every year in appeal. So it was good as it was 17 years ago as well as it was 34 years ago, but um, it's nice to see In Excess get a song uh, ranked uh, in that top 500 because generally it is sort of quite biased. And right and- in the middle. Great. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But uh, yeah, so that, that, that I think there's going to be a publication coming out. And look, to be honest, a lot of these rankings and reissues and things like that, as mentioned earlier in the year when we had the Australian artist one, mm-hmm. they really are a bit of a marketing exercise to keep relevance because mm-hmm. Rolling Stone probably not, you know, the sort of the has the sort of the pull that it did 30 years ago. So, but it's got uh, that classic solo sax in it by this well, really look, amazing man. <laughs> as we've said, we always love a good list. And uh, with our guest on today, it's very timely we're talking about it. But, absolutely, uh, a couple more little things there. Very ironic one, B. There's a little website or email address or podcast called 64 tacos.com <laughs> and what's really interesting about it B, I had tacos for dinner tonight just coincidentally <laughs> but they are look a quick little 10 12 minute podcast that ranks uh, not rank songs they rate 
cover versions and things like that. Now, there's a, a band from Ohio called The National, and they did a cover version of Never Tear Us Apart, continuing the theme. And uh, they gave the cover a good rating, but they also went on in this sort of 11-minute sort of uh, session uh, to talk about how great the original was and Michael's vocal and the sax solo and the guitar and the drum fill. So uh, if you do want to get onto 64tacos.com, uh, you don't hear the national version, but you will hear the guys talk for about 11 minutes a little bit about the uh, Never Tear Us Apart uh, Where are they cover. from, Hayden? They They're from America. American. Okay. Yeah, and the band the band who did the song or covers from America too. So uh, I had a little listen last night and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a little bit of fun and you know, a bit of a pat on the back for uh, In Excess. And they could never tear us apart. Couple of little things there. You did mention earlier about the Induct uh, In Excess sort of uh, committee and things like that. I think they're pushing close to 5,000 signatures now. Is that right? It's really good, isn't it? We do yeah. need a lot more, though. We need double that, don't we, really? Well, look, probably we probably need to get to 100,000 plus, you know. We probably mm. need to get a bit of people power. And we've, we've had time. so many new listeners now. So, yeah, new listeners, get your granny, get your... Yeah. Get Pass your next on. door neighbour, get them to give them Send your the email. Out. Yeah, get yeah. their emails and sign them up. Yes. <laughs> now, apparently uh, during our 69th episode last week, a person did celebrate their 69th birthday, a good friend of the band and uh, very responsible for some of the great funk rhythms worldwide on mer- many tracks, and that's Mr Noel Rogers B. Is that right? That's right. Another yeah. coincidence. Absolutely. We love, a, we love a good symmetry of numbers yeah, and stuff like do. that. Yeah, we do. Yeah, but... Uh, uh, that's the news, chunky section of the news, and we look forward to uh, highlighting more stuff next week. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also, want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. This is Ella from Middleburg, the Netherlands. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the topic of the week. Well, welcome, Kirk Pengilly, to In Excess, Access All Areas, our deep dive into all things great about the band. And uh, we don't know how much you know about us. We know a lot about you, though. Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? Thanks, yeah. uh, thanks so much for having me. I've been, you know, listening to uh, a bunch of them more recently. I, I did did love the uh, the, the two part Wembley um, oh, wow. thing here, hearing Mark and and you know Nick tell lies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a very famous a very famous person said, "Don't let facts get in the way of a good story." You know, absolutely, yeah. Tim will attest to that one too. <laughs> well, we, we did, uh, look. Tim Tim told us on his interview about eight weeks ago. He doesn't listen to podcasts, so we had to concept him a little bit about who we are. So. In fact, you've listened to one or two is fantastic. Um, we don't know if you've listened to the one we did about you. It was episode 12. No, I'll, I'll have to go back. I should have listened to that before. I, I sent it to you. Did That's you? Uh, hey, listen, I, yeah, we talk about, we talk about Patar Speaks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. that's the level of detail and nuance we get into. No, I've I've gathered that now. Like you guys know more about us than we do. <laughs> Certainly more than I remember. Anyway, <laughs> well, well, look, what we we uh, uh, have tried to do, I guess, through this little idea, is to um, 
provide uh, a bit of a vehicle for fans that um, are obviously there, but also some latent fans, B, who have probably dropped off but have come back to just retrospectively from really 1977 through to, you know, I guess 2012 and even now, you know, just a comprehensive chronological narration of the band's career and things through that time. And we're probably sitting at about 1991 at the moment. We've come off Wembley, et cetera, there. Yeah, right. to we're about to go into the consulate for life or strife as they called it. That's going to be the next episode. And then we're going to go into the welcome to wherever you are review. We're going to get Mark Opitz back on for that and maybe Niven Garland. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, we'll talk about that today, but really part of my mission a little bit was to try and sort of give a bit more of an accuracy to the band's career because I always felt that sometimes, you know, through the media and things like that, certain artistic achievements weren't always as recognised as the hyperbole. And, you know, just, you know, felt quite passionate about putting something together that also accelerated a push for the Hall of Fame because I think that, um, you know, as you probably know, the band aren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and it might not be a club that um, necessarily everyone's, I don't really want to get into it, but I think once you're in it, it's pretty cool to have it on your resume. Um, Oh, totally. You know, I'm sure we would love that. (laughs) And I was chatting to Tim. We were chatting to Tim. We are like, oh, you know The Cure and you know that Def Leppard. And he goes, what? We were bigger than The Cure in America. So Tim suddenly yeah. got fired up about it. So we are quite happy about that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then last week's episode, we were chatting to Philip Mortlock, who, as you probably yep. remember, you know, is intrinsic on the swing and, and Listen Like Thieves and the cover art. And he's made a few inquiries and things like that because we think mm-hmm. – we think that uh, it is a very American-centric institution. Um, yes. And there's some bands in there that really, you know, you know, all right, they got their due, but I don't think they have the catalogue that you guys have, you know? Yeah. I mean, and we had eight consecutive top ten hits in America. So, yep. you know, that's sort of uh, at the time certainly it was uh, it was equal to, you know, someone like Madonna, I think, and, yep. and Michael Jackson. So, yeah, well, yeah, I'm all for it, but, I, you know, I probably can't ring them up and say, hey, no, no. put us in. <laughs> well, there's an no, induction we'll we'll campaign <laughs> going on at the moment and, uh, yeah. you, know, that's, you know, a lot of these things are people power now and there's a sort of, I guess, a, the world is in, you know, some respects with COVID a bigger place again, but the online community really has brought people together and we're, we're quite yeah. fortunate with our podcast series that we do go out to about 40 countries. Yeah, more, right. um, more. I've, got, I've just written okay. down 82. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know there was that many countries in the world. <laughs> I know. Nor did I. <laughs> 82. That's pretty cool, eh? Well, that's amazing. But, yeah, yeah. We, we're big on engagement. Um, I'm engaging every day to different people all around the world about in excess. Mm, thank so, you. Yeah. Nice. We can, nice. It's great. We, we, we found that in the first sort of five, ten episodes, we were sort of just working our way through, but, you know, we had suddenly Nick Egan contact us and then, you know, Mark, right. Mark Opitz contacted us and, you know, suddenly grown from there a little bit. But, Doors are you know, opening, aren't they, everywhere? Yeah. And we, we've sort of been lobbying a little bit with Sam Evans behind the scenes, like she emailed us overnight, right. you know, about certain things. Like we put some joint things with the Seven uh, Sins uh, yeah. album out and the movie and um, yeah. we're trying to raise a little bit with management, I guess. To I'm try glad. That's, of, that's great. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, surely they can, surely they and Universal could help with uh, uh, Hall of Fame as well. Yes, um, yes. you would think. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, but, didn't um, didn't Philip mention Warners are also making inquiries from you um, from I think America? That's in America, yeah, 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 which is awesome. But yeah. it's like a, it is like a political campaign. These things take a few years of sort of uh, you know momentum. lobbying, grand swell. Yeah. That's what we're starting. Yeah. And it's who you know in the room who can be the loudest voice sometimes. You know. Um, mm. 
You know, Very much so. Kiss finally got inducted about seven years ago, but Tommy Morello had a big say in that. So, you know, um, yeah. anyway. But we're not just about that mission. We have got no, other things no, we, that we'd like to do and do with you. Yeah. So hopefully we can do that as we go along. Well, there's a couple of things to sort of kick off a little bit, pardon the pun, but we'd like to sort of make this a little bit unique. I know that you've probably been for, at the forefront of a lot of media with Tim over, over time, and I generally find, you, as you may have found, that you get asked a lot of the same questions. So we're going to maybe take this down a different pathway today because I think yeah. you're on record with so many different things over time. We're going to sort of maybe tackle a, a couple of curveballs. We might even ask a myth buster or two, Kirk. I've got a couple of myth busters to test you out on. Okay. Uh, just to see what's truth or fiction uh, because there's a bit of, uh, you know, it's like until you hear it officially, you never quite know. But uh, we do know there are these famous diaries you do have. Uh, I know Tim was seemingly quite a, a, a proponent the other week of about we really probably need to have a great definitive in excess documentary. And yes. Philip, again, echoed the sentiments of your diaries that they probably are the most accurate account, especially in the early days, I guess. Do you still do them now? Like there's still something? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I do them every day. I mean, you know, uh, obviously, I guess they're a little more sort of personal these days because the band's not active. But, yeah. you know, when the band was active, sometimes, you know, I'd, I'd have to, uh, when I was handwriting them, especially up to 95, including 95, I, I handwrote them. Um, you know, some of the days were just so much happened that I'd end up having to, you know, do an arrow C, you know, three days later where I had room to add more to it. Funny thing is I wrote them back then in third person. So I referred to everyone, including myself, uh, <laughs> initials. So, you know, KP did this and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I did that. That's just how I started writing them um, as a sort of, I guess, a, an objective kind of view, but you know, it's, it's pretty funny when, if, if you're asked, you know, each of the band members the same question about an event or something like that, you'll get, you know, sometimes a completely different answer. And it's funny how the mind, you know, plays over time. So yeah. I'm glad I, I'm glad I've got yeah. the diaries to sort of, you know, put they some real facts. <laughs> yeah. It must mean you win every argument in hindsight. You go back and say, <laughs> Not necessarily. No? Gary, Gary's got a storming, you know, memory recall. Um, he, he's probably, uh, you know, and he, he on and off wrote diaries as well. Um, but, you know, no one in the band sort of consistently did it like I did, which is every day, you know, which is kind of, I mean, it's great, but it's also been, uh, you know, a cross to bear, for example, when, you know, years ago when we put together the, uh, the gigography, um, which was on the website, and I believe is coming back to the new revisedinexcess.com website, um, you know, I had to get heavily involved in that for the accuracy of, of the gigs and what dates they were and all that sort of thing. Mm. So it was like, and, the, and same with, uh, you know, writing the, the, the book Story to Story um, with, with Anthony uh, Boza. He relied heavily on the on the diaries, and and I basically, whilst we were doing Rockstar in excess, um, I'd spend nights, you know, reading through and correcting his manuscripts, his drafts as they progressed. But it's kind of fun. It's cathartic in some ways. Um, going, oh shit, yeah, I remember. I'd forgotten we did that, or we did this, mm. and you know. In fact, well, I've forgotten pretty much everything. But you know, yeah. Well, I think I mean, you know, a, a good documentary would be a great cornerstone 
basis of um, of knowledge that that diary itself in terms of the intrinsic detail of how things occurred and and how yeah. things went certain ways. I mean, Absolutely. Well, especially pre a pre electronic era, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, we did have someone working on it, and I believe he's coming back to work on it, and and possibly I think Tim's kind of uh, championing a bit to be involved, which is a good thing. Um, but he actually got someone in his office a couple of years ago to photocopy every page of every diary because you know they want to, they obviously want to use that. Hopefully, they won't need to use me because uh, they've, they've, they've got they've got the reference point with with all the uh, the you know the um, copies of it sort of thing. Yeah, look, I, and I think you know what's important to us to to in excess too is it's not just the first twenty years about you know in excess of Michael because there's been another twenty years or more since then are equally important to us because I think to a greater extent, possibly the name in excess would have disappeared if we hadn't have continued on and, and, and you know, I feel done some great things. I mean, the Switch album, which, which you know, we did with J.D. Fortune after the TV show is, is one of my favourite in excess albums and it's not too you know, negate anything we did with Michael. I mean, you know, that 20 years w- was super important and, and we wouldn't be here today without it. But but I think what I'm trying to get at is that I think with the documentary, it's hopefully going to look at sort of the whole picture, yeah. the whole a whole 40 plus years and, and focus on sort of everything. Well, it always is a bit annoying when, when I, you know, one of the things when I was listening to podcasts about NXS, I was listening, reading articles, is that, the default position seems to be like, you know, with kick, you know, people sort of say that's the be all and end all. But I think a set, uh, artistically speaking, you know, you could argue that Welcome and Full Moon and Elegantly Wasted, you know, probably for a lot of the fans really are very, very adored albums um, as the band took more risks and, you know, we're at a point in their career where, you know, you climb the mountain, you're like, okay, what can we do with it now we're here, you know? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think if you ask most of the band members, probably probably most of us would say that Welcome is our favourite album. It's certainly my favourite out of everything. I mean, you know, I love them all, but like your kids. But um, but I think yeah, Welcome was particularly well for me. It was anyway a really fun exploratory album, and we we kind of had the attitude with that album that you know we could try anything if anyone had an idea anything creatively and it either ended up on the cutting room floor or it ended up uh you know in 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 the the finished mix sort of thing but but also you know there obviously there's an incredible focus on on Wembley and understandably on live baby live but to me there's you know uh, other moments that that were uh, uh, well I guess unfortunately not captured on film or recorded that were you know, equally uh, amazing, like headlining the Rock and Rio to, to 150,000. Although Mark mentioned he didn't think it was a particularly good gig, and I and I tend to agree with him, but it was still an incredible experience. You know, all, all the stuff we did in South America was was crazy because you know we were the first band to play in Argentina in 1984, international band ever, um, and the first band to international band to play. Uh, in Mexico City since the Doors, because they banned international acts after the Doors went there in the you know the sixties, and it was also a bit of whoever took a bite. We did a, a record deal for the rest of the world outside of North America and Australia, and that that encompassed um, South America, Europe, and other territories and whatever. And yeah, I think um, 
it was it was fantastic, and I think we really actually paved the way um, in South America for international acts to go through there in the end. Yeah. And we did a lot of a lot of touring down there, and it was mental. You know, the the crowds were just, uh, you know, there was there were some some gigs, you know, in in some of the South American cities that um, we couldn't hear ourselves on stage because the the crowd was so loud, and, and because they don't. You know, English is not the first language. A lot of them would uh, would sing the riffs, like you know, the the devil inside riff, dun, 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 and the whole crowd would be singing that riff, and wow. it, it was just it was nuts. You to know, hear really that was. coming back at you, yeah. John Stevens and, and you guys playing down there was massive concerts too, you know. And mm. I think mm. that the language barrier within excess was sort of um, negated by the fact that South America they really love to move their hips and dance, and you know what I mean. The sound yep. of excess probably really appealed to that. There's a party aspect yeah. to that. Sound. Absolutely, and it was you know it was a kind of a freedom thing. You know, finally they were getting international acts coming through and performing. It was it was new, it was fresh, it was yeah. uh, you know it was exciting. Uh, often you found with you know the, the the bigger name cities like you know New York and LA and London. In some ways, sometimes the crowds were a little bit you know jaded, like yeah, and because so, so, yeah, so many bands go through those particular cities, you know, I was like, oh, it's another band, yep, you know. Um, so I, I found some of those gigs tougher to perform at. You know, give me South America any day. Yeah, there was some some pretty touch and go, uh, you know, times from from <laughs> you know planes breaking down and and uh, yeah, dodging other planes taking off in very very stormy weather and yeah, some pretty. I, I'm amazed we're all still here, really. <laughs> well, there's still a lot of Facebook pages out there. Those countries, isn't there? There's like yeah. they, they absolutely adore you. The yeah. Argentinians and the Brazilians, yeah, yep. can't get enough. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, They're making all these new gifts and all these videos. It's awesome. Yeah, really it is awesome. good. They're very creative people. Yeah, they've got they've got a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, 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 a little bit of a compliment to you, uh, Kirk, on behalf of Mark. Mark uh, opens that he loves your vocals. Um, yeah. And yeah. uh, which is great to hear. And, and, and I think especially, you know, you can think back to some of the uh, Shabu Shabar album and obviously on Welcome and a few different things. He, he really liked using, you know, your vocals to sort of, I guess, uh, act as a sort of a, as an underlay to Michael, et cetera there. And I saw you play with Tim Rice and you got out the front there and, and sung a, a, a song or two there at that at Tim Rice. Yes, production. I did sing a song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Singing to you, I mean, I guess it's sort of something that's not your one would, but what we've taught our listeners, especially on your episode, go back and you can listen to Kirk's vocal, especially on Don't Change. I think that was a really quite, you can definitively hear it, you know, um, mm. and the strength of it behind that. Because it does is a song that requires a really high note and sometimes Michael being a baritone, you're really accompanying his vocals quite well. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, Michael could, you know, could get up there, um, mm. but obviously I think in the earlier years especially we were, and, and, and Mark probably was the first producer to to sort of bring that into focus was that, you know, what how we sounded on record on the first two albums compared to what we sounded, you know, like live was very different. So um, Mark and, and then also later Chris Thomas were, were very much, uh, you know, of, of pushing us to perform the songs in the studio as if we were playing them live. So 
you know, most of our records um, we made were, were us all performing together at the one time, and which meant we always had to have a really big studio with lots of different rooms so we could all set up and not get spill and stuff like that. But they, they were very instrumental in, in wanting us to, to perform the songs as we would live. And, of course, that lent you know, for me to do the, the main backing vocals on most of the songs, you know, which, I, yeah, I, I would have liked to have, uh, have you know, done that a bit more because I did think it was a really uh, a part, of, part of our, certainly our earlier sound, but that combination of Michael and I singing together blended well, I think. And, well, the um, Night, Night of Rebellion, which you co-wrote as well, you can, you've definitely mm. got a prominent part in that. Yeah, I mean it's the yeah. I mean I, every album with uh, that the, the, it came up, you know, should should I sing a song, and it just no, it never really happened. And I'm glad it didn't, you know, because for me the weakest songs on Rolling Stone albums are, are the ones Keith sings. <laughs> but I still like them, but you know, but but you know, Michael was the lead singer, and, and that was the thing when we first started. Um, I'd come out of a band with Tim where I was the lead singer, and so it was sort of. You know, when we first started as the Farris Brothers, it was sort of two two lead singers, Michael and I, in a way. And I did sing some a few of the songs back then, but clearly because Michael didn't play an instrument, and you know, he developed into obviously such a great, incredible front man and charismatic front man. Um, you know, it made sense that Michael handled uh, handled the lead vocals, and uh, and I just did backing vocals. Just. Yeah, just just <laughs> scrape through. As well as playing the saxophone, guitar. And- yeah, well, it was actually it was a, a pain in the ass, really, because I had, uh, as a result of doing, you know, being the, I guess the the principal backing vocalist, um, I always had to hang around right to the end right up to mixing stage because often Michael hadn't finished his lyrics or hadn't finished his vocal until, you know, right at the end. And you can't really put backing vocals onto a track until the lead vocal's finished. So, you know, I, I kind of had to be there all the time um, right up to uh, to the, you know, the last minute of recording of, of each album to, to you know, finish my backing vocals. And, you know, often like on the last day it'd be at like 5 a.m. in the morning I'd be doing my backing vocals vocals on some of the songs because, you know, the studio time was just about up. Yeah. So you had some real husky Rod Stewart sort of inflections at that point of the time. <laughs> yeah, not so much, not so much. But, yeah. right. um, and, it, and is that right? You were always there, the, the first one there as well in the studio? Um, oh, look, I, generally, I guess, maybe, um, you know, I th- no, I think, you know, I think we were all there uh, initially and, um, I mean, how it used to run really was we w- we'd start each song and it would be about getting, you know, the, the best sort of rhythm section takes first off. So, you know, we'd all play uh, and and we'd, we'd put the songs down and when we felt that we had the, the, the rhythm track, the, you know, the, especially the drums, we'd move on to the next song and then we'd, then we'd you know, rotate and come back to them later on. So everyone was there, you know, definitely for the main bulk of the start of the recordings. And then we'd all, you know, kind of come in and out when it was time to fix anything up or add things. And um, But then I was usually there to the end. A, a bit the same with predominantly with sax too, because it's a, kind of a soloish instrument, often had to wait to see where the uh, where the vocal went and and where there were you know gaps in the vocal or whatever it might be, 
to work out where the sacks were going to fit. You know? Not putting the read in properly. I mean, the miniseries probably gives lip service a little bit to how you learnt it, but it wasn't sort of naturally an instrument you went to saxophone school to pick up. No. Um, it was a trial and error. Uh, how did you learn the breathing technique and all of that? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't even do music in, in high school. Um, it was, you know, I, I was too busy playing guitar and being, you know, being a... Uh, Running your sales uh, business. A little rock star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, sales business. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I, I did, I picked up sax later and I think I must have had an ear, obviously, because I, I taught myself guitar and the way I taught myself guitar was, you know, listening to a shitty little radio. I can't even remember what station it wouldn't have, would have been because at Cottage Point there wasn't much signal for anything where I grew up. And But I used to play along to just the radio and somehow I, I was I had a knack for working out chords and I didn't even know what the chords were initially and then I eventually bought a chord book so I went oh okay that's a, an E major um, so it was all by ear and saxophone very much so is a by ear instrument because it's it's naturally uh, an, an imperfect instrument if you play you know say a low D and then you go an octave up it's out of tune with itself. So you actually have to, um, you have to move the, the pressure of your mouth on the reed and the mouthpiece to get it in pitch. So um, you have to have an ear for music to be, play, to be able to play a saxophone because you have to keep adjusting your mouth to make sure the, the notes in pitch. You know? yeah. One of the, um, it's, admi- yeah, one of the admirable things when I see you play live, what, maybe you can answer, what song for you where you have to combine guitar saxophone and backup vocals exhaust you the most? <laughs> that's, that's sort of a hard one. I mean, what, what songs like New Sensation where it's just I've got to grab the sax and, I, you know, it was, it was a fine art with my uh, crew guy, you know, to get the sax to me just in time to stop playing guitar and do the little sax solo that's in the middle of it, hand it back to him and then go straight back into the vocals, you know. Um, it, 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 yeah, it was, I was busy on stage sometimes, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> Tim, uh, sorry, Kurt, I, I did notice back in the day, being a, a nerdy student observer, you did used to smoke. I don't know if you smoke anymore, but I used to always think, geez, you know, like with all with all of what's going on, the energy levels live. I mean, you must come off stage exhausted sometimes, you know. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. but I. But then I, there's I euphoria have... of the adrenaline too, I guess. You know. Yeah, that it all counterbalances it, I guess. Yeah, I must have big lungs. I know that you know from probably the age of maybe eighteen or nineteen. For almost 10 years, I did uh, every morning uh, without fail, I, I did these sort of stretching, breathing. It's, it, they were called sort of warm-up exercises for Tai Chi. And I did that religiously um, for a, at least a good 10 years. I think that probably is, you know, one of the reasons why my lungs are pretty good considering the abuse that they had. <laughs> um Obviously, we've done B, I think, in the podcast series. We've even put some songs on and we've sort of tried to break down each band member's contribution to a said song. 
And some of our listeners are like, oh, I didn't really know that was a bass drum. I didn't really know that was a bass guitar and whatever there. The six members in the band, and we think the sound of In Excess is the sum of the parts. If you could break down maybe a sentence or two on each band member, what you felt they brought to the band, what do you think the most unique characteristic each band member has brought to the band as you see it? Yeah, well, obviously their own, you know, their own style and their own uh, instruments that they they played. Um, you know, I see it was very, in excess was very democratic, which often we would question as to whether that's a good or a bad thing. Everyone had had parts to play, you know, Andrew being the main songwriter and Michael being the vocalist and main spokesperson and, and all of that. But, you know, generally I think everyone, everyone picked up sort of the, the gauntlet if, if someone wasn't, you know, um, feeling the best, say, on tour and all that sort of thing. It was it, the, the roles kind of constantly evolved and, and changed within the unit sort of thing to, to pick up the slack wherever it was needed. So, I mean, to kind of rattle off uh, a particular strength with each guy, I think I, I'd find that really difficult other than, um, other than you know, as you say, it was the sum of the parts and, and certainly um, there was, a, you know, a, 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 for us, a magic the first time we came together as a band, there was just this kind of like, wow, this there's something special about this. Uh, you know, I don't think, uh, well, maybe some of the guys, Gary, I think is, is a really amazing musician and John is an you know, incredible drummer. Um, so consistent and, uh, and so entertaining to watch and, and just uh, a genius with it. Andrew, a genius songwriter. And, you know, Tim, I think what I loved about him was just his, his total kind of uh, certainly, especially on stage, you know, he's just such a rock star on stage, you know, he used to make me laugh. And he, he used to give me the shits too because he'd often, <laughs> walk, he'd often walk forward, you know, when it was one of my solos and I'm perhaps a little, I was a little bit shyer, you know, yeah. especially after yeah. after seeing yeah. Spinal Tap, I just, yeah. uh, we, we, you know, Spinal Tap was on rotation for a while on, on the tour bus and and just just seeing that sort of pose and going, oh, you know, so I, I, I kind of lost a bit of my posing mojo. Philip told us last before. week, he said that, that 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 was being played in the recording of Rhino Studios in the lunchroom all the time. And yeah, you think yeah. it, you think we it, loved it. You think it killed or demythed the, uh, the whole industry a bit. And fortunately, you met the boys at the 92 Arias there when you got the best, yeah. best band of the year, which was a great moment, oh, that was. It? Yeah, it was. It was. I, I didn't know what to say. I was just like, <laughs> it's those guys <laughs> but um but yeah so i you know everyone i think uh as you said it was the some of the some of the parts and 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 although uh, where i was sort of getting to um the musicianship um you know because most of us were, were kind of self-taught um Certainly, I think Gary was, and uh, and and I think to a certain extent John was. He was just a natural, um, you know, right from when he was a little kid. Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. it's hard to put a put a sort of a, a, a thumbnail on on everyone individually, especially did, did, over the yeah. years as well, because <laughs> it would have changed a lot, like you said. Yeah, abso- absolutely. You know, I think what we enjoyed as fans, I think, is. And I said this on you, the episode for yourself. I felt like you could articulate the vision of the band the best. I mean, obviously you and Tim did quite a bit of press and when things got a bit hectic for Michael, um, you and Tim seemed to step up really, really well and fill the breach. And 
I always remember something that taught me a little about music in the early days was that, you know, you, you're sitting outside somewhere around the X2 and interviewed. It might have been on a festival gig and you said, above everything, we just want to matter musically. And it was just a really good thing to hear because you know, so many bands were into sort of was the adulation, the fame and the sales as opposed to the artistic merit. And I think that's something that really resonated with me as a fan hearing you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it wasn't, it wasn't really about the fame, you know, it, it mm. was, it was about wanting to, uh, to matter musically. And, and, you know, we, we just, uh, we loved what we did and we loved what we created, you know, musically. And, um, uh, you know, we, I think the criteria always was, you know, especially when it came down to choosing the songs for an album and all that was picking the ones that we all really really dug that we really, you know, really sort of liked and, and got a hit off. And um, it was never about really trying to be anything or be anyone. It was all very kind of just organic. And, and it was, uh, it was just very true. I think the way we went about doing everything, we weren't, you know, a bunch of poses and, uh, and all uh. that sort of thing. You know, my, Michael lapped up his, his, his role later on in in life and all that and and enjoyed it um but you know for some of some of the rest of us like andrew sort of hated the limelight so it you know it, it was great because we had so many different personalities within the band that could cover kind of all aspects i think you know predominantly myself and, and i guess tim quite a bit did the meet and greets all the time michael would do them as well but mm. but you know i i think probably I, I went to just about all of them, <laughs> you know, because to me it was very important that, that some, of, some of the band members obviously went and did the meet and greet. And, you know, still to this day, because I get kind of, you know, recognised a lot out and about, I love giving people the time of day. And to me, everyone has a story, but also um, the fact that, you know, just doing a selfie with someone or having a quick chat, Seems we love mean, you guys. So You're all so bloody gorgeous, every one of you, every one of you. Aww. The thing that I, I loved, I was watching a documentary from 2002 when you came back after losing Michael and you decided to come back and something that struck with me, you, you all said, well, we're really, we're really talented and we really love playing. And, and, and it was like, well, yeah, it's just that. It's not about the fame or anything. It's what you were set out to do and why not continue? Yeah. It's the only thing we knew what, how to do, really. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, I, think, yeah. I, I always struggle yeah. when someone asks the question, so what would have you done if you hadn't have been you know, a rock star? Um, and I just go, I, that's all I ever did from the age of 10. You know, that was my... My modus operandum and, and, you know, and, and same with all the other guys. hard on the band when it sort of came in to find new singers and all that sort of stuff. But one of the things that that I think band, other your industry colleagues, I think Dave Grohl and many people have sort of said this, until you lose a band member and then, you know, your career, you're allowed to have a career. You know, yeah. Michael's passing has dramatically 
sad as it still is for everybody, doesn't then deny you a life mm. and doesn't deny you a, a foray into something. And it was always going to be hard to sort of, um, you know, capture that again and all those type of things. But um, I think, as you said, there's been an interesting sort of body of work that um, be it touring, be it, you know, uh, remix albums, be it, um, you know, guessing is coming through, be it, you know, the rock star stuff. I mean, you know, that you can be particularly proud of that has actually meant, I think I've worked this out the other way, you've actually sold more records and CDs, I think maybe matched. I think by 97, you're up to 25 million. Now you've have, you've done over 50. Mm. So, and you had that, I think, celebration in 2017, the 50 million plus and things. Yeah. But you've actually doubled your sales post-Michael and not yep. to deny Michael, but it's it's an enduring legacy, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. And as I said earlier on, you know, that when we're talking about the documentary, that I think the fact that, that we did continue um, and things like Rockstar and then, you know, the mini series which unfortunately was was handled very badly overseas as far as distribution goes but certainly you know things like that kept kept the, the band alive kept kept the name alive you know and, and I, I I mean I, I at the time when we did Rockstar it was incredibly nerve-wracking and complete you know completely outside the box and completely a huge risk um, but you know for years after that I I still had people come up to me and say, oh, we saw Rockstar. And and when it finished, we were just like, there was this big hole in our life, you know, because it was on three or four nights a week. And and they were like, you know, it was just, it was horrible because it finished. And Lane and I actually watched it, uh, I think, all of it again last year because I've got it, you know, on series of DVDs. And we were just absolutely riveted and, and, and <laughs> obsessed with it. And, and quite frankly, I just... We were both just thinking about it all the time during the day, you know, wait, waiting for sort of dinner time so we could sit down and watch <laughs> the next three. It was it was amazing, actually, you know, and it and it really um, it really you know changed a lot of things certainly in that space because you know we fought really hard to make sure that it was like a rock gig and that the audience was right up at, at the stage and and soon after that you know american idol suddenly put the, the audience up by the stage yeah. and, and then gradually the band in you know in those sorts of shows creeped onto stage and yeah. because they were, they were off in the darkness you know before that and and so it really i think it really kind of upped the ante with those sorts of shows and and also it was one of the first tv shows that had international live voting that hadn't been done before so it was kind of you know groundbreaking as much as some people like to to you know give it shit i'm personally really proud of it you should be yeah. Yeah. P- personally, if I could in- do a self-indulgent story and oh, here we go. Heard. I've heard this before. No, go ahead. <laughs> I did actually. I did actually go to two episodes of it in LA. Um, oh, did you? And awesome. I did. I did say hello to you as you went outside for a quick gasper. I think with uh, <laughs> with uh, Tim uh, after yeah. episodes. But um, slight story. Some of our listeners know that uh, me and my partner at the time we were standing at the front. We bought our tickets from Australia. We'd gone all the way over there. We're in the queue. We were about a seven hundred meter queue lining up with about 10 people to go, a lady with a headphone on and looking rather self-important said, oh, sorry, guys, we're full today. Oh, no. So Even I didn't go up to it. No, that's fine. I, there was no way I was not getting in. So I did decide to go up there with my driver's license saying, uh, Veronica, listen. I've no, flown gonna, all the way. I've uh, Just letting you know, we come all over from Australia for this and is there anything you can do? Anyway, she, she quietly shooed everyone else away and got us in and 
we end up awesome. got ta- we end up getting taken up to the front of the the, the stage area yeah. behind Brooke Burke, and there is yeah, some yeah, footage yeah. of us there. But we went to two episodes, and it was oh, it was awesome. it was a lot of fun. And and what was quite interesting was that you know commercial break, come back and pick a singer. Like you guys broke off for an hour to two hours almost to consider who was yeah. getting cut. It wasn't sort of flippant, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh no, that, that was yeah, that was sort of the most difficult. I mean, there was lots of difficult aspects of it, but that was one of the most difficult, um, you know. And and the irony of it all too was, um, you know, throughout most of the of the of the show, the season, um, we're all like, There's "No way, we're going to pick that JD guy. He's just <laughs> he's just an ass." You know? <laughs> um, but then it turned out he was he was the one that that. You know, had all had all the you know had all the goods, shall we say, uh, yeah. uh, next to the rest of them. So, that you know, we we had to pick JD, and and I you know I'm glad I was just talking to him last week because uh, it was his birthday last week, and so I, I've kept in good contact with with him, and uh, he always made me laugh. He's a funny guy. He He's actually bought on my birthday as well, and we'll be born oh, on the he? same day. <laughs> yes, oh, well, but he he had his birthday on the show then, and I was over there for my birthday as well. My partner took me over. But what's interesting, actually, a little statistic some people don't know, is that Pretty Vegas went 37 in the charts in America, but it actually went gold, and it was this sort of crossover from physical sales to online digital sales. Mm, so time, you, yeah. you may not know, but the, that song went gold in America for digital sales. Now, if that had have been, that's how they measure chart success now, that would have been top five yeah, based on the measurements now. But they still considered physical sales higher than digital sales then. Mm. So it yeah, was, yeah, was a retrospectively a top five hit leg- yeah, legitimately. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you did say something before about uh, the miniseries with the distribution. I mean, I guess it was such a tearaway success here. Did you feel like maybe America let you down with distribution over there? Because that would have been yeah. something would have been good. Yeah, look, uh, I don't really know what happened, but it was out of our hands because it was owned by you know the the production company that that did it, and um, they just kind of ended up throwing it to a to a to a media yeah, to a kind of you know a mediocre channel in america um i think you know we'd obviously hoped it was going to end up on uh, you know nbc or something like that so it didn't get it didn't get much exposure you know and all of that which is a shame Patriot questions, but I'll throw a couple of things at, at, at Kirk a little bit. Um, a few. Uh, <laughs> Keep throwing. So, now, we've got a bit of a list here of your songwriting contributions here. Night of Rebellion, Follow, Golden Play, Pen, Face the Change, Good and Bad Times, Biting Bullets, Like It or Not, uh, with Huey, your friend Huey, I yep. think. This is an interesting myth buster. Um, by my side, I believe you had a songwriting credit on that, but then the later releases on the X album say Chris Thomas. Now, that being political, what's the true story? Um, yeah, look, that, that was a bit of a, an awkward moment, that one, when it came to doing the, you know, the credits for it because the, the original song didn't have the chorus and I, I you know, still remember visualising, uh, I can see it uh, sitting in the back of uh, the control room of, at, at Rhinoceros um, with Chris and Michael and Andrew um, and I came up with the chords for the chorus. You know, uh, but Chris Thomas felt that he'd contributed as well, which he, he did, you know. Um, but 
and so he he sort of said, well, I want to, you know, I want a, a song credit as well for it. It made it a bit awkward between Chris Thomas and I, and we ended up agreeing on, I can't even remember which way it fell, but we ended up sort of agreeing on it and just mo- moving on um, yeah. with it kind of thing. Because I but, thought I, I'd seen footage or maybe on a tape when I bought it, had your name as a co-writer yeah, originally, and then retrospectively should, it's been changed. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't know yeah. why that is. Um, I'd, I'd be intrigued to know as to where you saw it. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so, it, so it written without my name on it. But well, um, if, you, if you if you pick up an album from a, a CD store now, if you go online, it's actually got Chris, Andrew, and uh, Michael. That's weird. It does. Yeah. yeah, it's been like that for a while. So maybe, okay. maybe an action point for you. What have you started, Hayden? I don't know. I've been, I've been robbed. <laughs> yes, you have. Where's well, my Kirk, money? <laughs> I might have started a, a songwriting war. We do uh, look. We have to self-admit, Kirk. We we do have a very running in joke about media wars and and with yourself. Oh we, really? Uh, if you have not come across that yet, I might have, actually play that to, music we, right now. We have now. to declare that we have a bit of a running gag about media wars and that that Kirk likes to jump up and. Trump Andrew and <laughs> at different times so we should declare our hand on that one but it is done with a, 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 a firm tongue in our cheek and with a lot of love and, uh, and care. Yeah, yeah. Just get asked to do stuff, and I yes. go, "Yeah, sure." You know, yes. but also, I, you know, because I've been involved with quite a few charities and stuff like that. I've done a lot of media um, surrounding that, you know, the, the particular charities and all that sort of thing. So I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm out there too much. No, I don't no, no. Hey, B, what was the thing you mentioned the other way? There was some uh, construction on the North Shore. There, you were lobbying against oh. or something. Uh, <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, look. <laughs> Um, uh, the shopping centre. Where's that yeah. going to be? Over the old grocery store or something? No, no, it's right up the top of the freshwater shops. Um, a building really? there. That's current. It used to be a. Uh, it used to be a. Um, a strata, a strata management upstairs kind of thing, and then on the ground floor is like a, a homewares kind of store. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, oh look, there's, <laughs> there's a uh, there's a, a thing called the Friends of Freshie. Um, and a guy puts together this kind of um, newsletter every month that that kind of lets everyone know in the area what's going on, and and then uh, you know uh, he's very very good at pulling together all the things that we should maybe um, think about or action against. And um, so I just kind of chimed in along with hundreds of other people um, because as to, you know, what happens is, is they start these buildings and getting them higher. And then once that one's higher, then the next one's allowed to go higher. And, you know, and it's that kind of dominant. Arms race, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, it's really happening a lot in our area. And so I, I just, I just joined in with. I think I even. I think I even just copied the suggested draft from you know the friends of Freshy and submitted that. And then obviously someone at the Manly Dailies, because it's public notice, who's who's you know, actioning against these <laughs> DAs and whatever. And he just picked on me, and and he actually kept trying to call me to. to well, there's no there's no photo of you at the front doing this or something. Yeah, like that. He's <laughs> not yet. No, uh, no. no. Standing in yeah, front of the digger. It did, did annoy me a bit, you know. It sort of sensationalised the issue a bit, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's just not what I was trying to do. I just just felt what I felt and agreed with what what the action group was trying to do, because uh, the last thing we want in our little community, uh, you know, big high rises and stuff like that. Not that this was a big high rise, but anyway. 
But Hayden, it's such mm, a beautiful, it it's a beautiful little, um, like little village. town, isn't it? Like a village, a village yeah. yeah. And it hasn't got like a, a big highway running past it or anything. You really have to come yeah. right off. Um, and there's hardly any buses come through. It's literally, it's it's just ideal. It's mm. gorgeous yeah. little place. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, mm. I mean, um, zebra crossings. My God. Yeah, I've never, yeah, yeah. How many it's zebra getting, crossings uh, now? What road? Oh, <laughs> uh, there's like, uh, you know, in the little strip, there's about four or five. Yeah. Jeez. Um, but it's yeah, it's becoming extremely crowded. Like you know, when it comes summer, yeah. uh, you know, I don't even bother driving to the shops. I just walk down and all that, which I do mostly anyway. But no. um, it's, it's, got, it's still got that like nineteen seventies feel about it, hasn't it? It's got it's very yeah. hippie, sort of relaxed. Still yeah, it's just like, very relaxed. It's yeah. nice, like a real nice. puberty blues northern beach thing, huh? Yeah, kind, of, kind of. It's it's getting a little bit more gentrified now. I mean, the real estate's so expensive around here. You know, only the gentrified. Oh, it's can, ridiculous. Can That's why here. I moved out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, little, little, Coffs Harbour, got a half price house. Yeah, <laughs> I like Coffs Harbour. Second little cool place. Can yeah. I can I just put in my favourite media wars moment? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when we have we have a song we have a stinger to it as well, don't we? B? I yeah. think it's the Verve. Bittersweet right. Symphony, like did, so did, this did, week did, in did, Media did. Wars. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Get to yeah. play my music. Yeah. Um, you're, you're so controversial. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you'll, you'll get to love us at some point. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I think it was Andrew is um, playing a song at a football match. Was it, was it? A rugby grand final? Rugby I think. grand final, and yeah. we're all there watching. Amy Shark, that's it. And then all of a sudden, Kirk pops up. You popped up. Give me a second. It was brilliant. It was just Who'd have fun? brilliant. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was. It, it was good fun. Um, uh, you know, we were, I, I can't remember how it all evolved, really, but we were. I both separately approached um, to, to do that by Amy Shark's management. So yeah. um, uh, I actually kind of said no at first and then I, and then I thought about it. I was, I was a bit, you know, scared to do it actually, I think. And that was why I just sort of said no. Um, but then I thought about it and thought, ah, you know, I'm a, it's only 15 seconds of my life. <laughs> why scared? Um, well, I hadn't performed in public for a long time and, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, I don't know, just kind of just got nervous about it. Sort of. I saw you perform in April. Where was that? At the Manly Leagues Club with Andrew. I was there. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You were too. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. do know. Yeah, you no, did but, see me. I didn't know yeah. you recognised me. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, yeah, photo opportunity there, B, wasn't there? Oh, you yeah, just yeah. jumped in front of me. I thought, why not? <laughs> and I remember you were with another girl as well. Um, I was with. Um, I had a, a whole team there. Yeah, an, on, an entourage. Yeah. An entourage of inexperienced fans. I had two tables. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, good on you. Yeah, that was that was good fun. I didn't know what to expect because um, I hadn't really heard much of Andrew's stuff. So um, it was just weird seeing Andrew up there as a front man, you know. Like, yeah. um, I, good loved, on him. It's fantastic. I loved his relationship with the um, the keyboard player. I can't remember what his name yeah. is. Oh, what a yeah. guy. I really like him. Yeah, the multi-instrumentalist guy. Yeah, you know, but yeah, they have the such guy. a rapport. Like he'll be like... 
I don't know, he, his microphone would go, go off or something. You go, you still in my limelight again? You know, yeah, it's yeah. really well, fun. For, well, for Andrew, who was always for the shy one, like he's yeah. never been more omnipresent on Facebook, social media, Twitter. Mm. Maybe it's Marlena's influence as well. She's pushing yeah, him out yeah. there. Oh, and, um, what yeah. a lovely lady. Really love yeah. that woman. <laughs> yeah. No, she's yeah, been very really supportive good. of the show, actually, hasn't she, Hayden? Yeah, she's really much. helped us. Mm. Oh, good. Yeah, I was really impressed. Really impressed with uh, with the whole thing. Not not necessarily my genre of sort of music, but you know you can hear you, you can just hear that that kind of uh, uh, you know it, a- Andrew's songwriting is it's very much him. And um, yeah, it was you know a few of the songs are like oh that might have worked with In Excess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, are, you are my yeah. rock. I love my yeah. you are my rock. That one he played at the end. It's Brilliant live, yeah, really is. good live. Well, I guess I guess you need to look at a song like Heaven Sent and the recording of that, how it started and what it ended up being. I mean, it sort of really got inaccessified when you hear the original yes. version. So it would never tear us apart. I think that was more of a waltzy thing, wasn't it, you know? Yeah, well, actually, um, uh, the the Heaven Sent was was a three four ballad, and we went down to Andrew's place when he when he was living at Cottage Point uh, years ago, and and just to to sort of start rehearsing a few songs, and um, and as I recall, I, I sort of turned it into the the four four kind of thing, and and so it was the first song we um, we we recorded in. Uh, in Rhinoceros for Welcome and and I just went in and started mucking around with guitar sounds and uh, and all that and and came up with the opening riff um, for the song and it, so it sort of in some ways built around that and I don't know if Andrew ever forgave me for you know taking a what was a, a three four sort of lilting ballad into a four four rock song. <laughs> <laughs> This is Sheila from Birmingham, Alabama. Hey, this is Susan from Cincinnati, Ohio. Hi, this is Maite from Montreal, Canada. This is Suzanne from Los Angeles, California. And that's a wrap. Wow. Wow. How was that, be? Oh, amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's such a nice man. I thought Tim was nice, but I knew that Kirk would be nice. <laughs> Well, you know, I've never seen you smile more like a Cheshire captain today, but what a giving guest. And uh, we do know we had to even cut Kirk off. He had, he's got, he's got, I think he's got about another 120 minutes of story. So we're told mm. him to come back next week. Yes. And we will get him on for episode two okay. uh, because we cannot silence uh, a man who wants to share so many great stories. I'm on the Kirk bandwagon now. We need to get him to be exceeding Andrew in terms of media space. It's funny, though. You know, we call him Mr. Media, but he's actually really humble, isn't he? You know, he was talking about some of those (laughs) things back then about, like, you know, the freshwater, friends of the fresh, friends of fresh air, whatever they were called. And, like, he got caught up in it. Bless him. He was like, oh, no. And then he says, am I on the media too much? You're like, no. It's really taking the media. I think people ask me, I like to talk, which is a good answer. (laughs) Um, The other thing, I guess, is interesting we may have created a potential lawsuit to him and chris thomas i don't know if i have one oh, uh, about, about that co-ride and so it's between uh, hayden said it not me sorry chris thomas if i'm about to curb any uh, overrides or or points uh, perhaps, on a song perhaps but, chris uh, thomas might only want to do a beeline though yeah, we'll see. <laughs> all right but fan engagement we definitely love to give some acknowledgement in that uh, for the week
Loads, loads. I want to say hi to everybody. But there's one in particular, and I think I sent this one to you, and they're called Solution, and they came from Instagram, and it's um, been uh, poached from somewhere to listen to us. And he goes, oh, I love the Aussie accent, and I just love <laughs> how he says devil inside. Come on, Hayden, say it. Or me saying devil inside. Yeah, I don't devil know. Inside, or I, devil inside. I, I can Aussie it up and go devil inside. <laughs> I think it's your side. Or I can do the London grammar, the English band who do a cover of Devil Inside. Devil Inside. Yeah, yeah, Devil Inside. But they also Uh, said that they like listening to us because we are joyful and fun. Oh, okay. What's good? So are you joyful and I'm fun or the other way around? I'm not sure. Well, a bit like the two people in the Muppets up the uh, the bleachers <laughs> was a, a wall off in Stadler, you know, we can wax lyrical about things. But uh, anyone else who's uh, been high on the, the, the platforms? Yep, there's two people actually. One is Sandy. Sandy has been a uber fan of NXS for a very long time. In fact, her boyfriend used to work for NXS back in the day in the 90s. So hopefully she'll come on and become a patron and she will share her stories with the rest of the patrons she's got some great stories actually and there's a new guy that i've never met before called manny from leeds in the uk and um, he also has been a big fan since the 80s so looking forward to um hopefully him catching us up he's uh, speedily going through all the episodes at the moment and um yeah again wants to become a patron so hi guys hi to Andy and Manny. I'm in with the in crowd. I go with the in crowd. Um, okay, in terms of some of the platforms and things, I know I do know people sometimes stick to a certain platform. They do download the, the show in. Um, I know when I listen back to any of the guests and have a bit of a listen, I go through Spotify. I found it a bit easier to listen than Podbean uh, in terms of, you know, going in and out. Mm. Uh, but do you want to just sort of share some of the other ways people can um, consume the podcast, Bea, because there are more than one way. Yeah, the best way to, to do it really is just get onto our um, Facebook, um, not onto our Facebook, but onto our website. And then on the front page, the home page, if you just scroll down, it's got every platform there. So you mm. can listen to, um, is it Podsprout and Spotify, Podbeam, and you can go to Amazon Music. And it's I, literally I the link. Well. Yeah, every yeah. link possible is there to make it as easy as possible yeah. for you guys. Yeah. And then on the um, and then on the right-hand side, you've got all our social um, platforms as well. So you can just follow us on Instagram, um, YouTube, and um, Facebook, and that will link you straight there. So best place to find us, get straight onto our um, website, which is inaccessaccessalareas.com. All right. Uh, one of the things which is exciting is that we've uh, been very fortunate through the band and through uh, Tim and, and various people behind the scenes to um, get some very rare merchandise that are, in many cases is signed by band members or band member, but is uh, available for auction and things like that. So uh, I do know we've just come off, a, a, I think, a By My Side release. Uh, we do now have a quite a rare UK vinyl release of Heaven Sent, the single with, uh, I think, Andrew on the B side or the flip side, which it ain't easy. Yes. It is a pretty rare one because I know I was saying to B before the show, in Australia particularly, and I know in some of the other countries, uh, it was around about Disappear single that they stopped really doing a lot of specialty mm-hmm. vinyl releases. They'd really go on to CD single by that point. Yeah. Uh, and tapes had a bit more of a longevity. But mm-hmm. uh, 
anything from really sort of X onwards, you know, in terms of uh, vinyl singles, they're quite hard to get. So we do have uh, an edition. Uh, is that one signed by Tim B, I think? Is that right? Yes, it comes yeah. with a certificate signed by Tim. Great. Mm. Certificate uh, authenticating signed by Tim. We're going to put this in our uh, latest auction group. Yep. Uh, and I'll again, put it up today yeah. for everybody. Yeah, okay. And so- again, go to the website or sign up for our lovely newsletter and all the information will be in there too. Yeah. So uh, that'll be something there. And uh, these auctions generally go for, what, about seven to ten days, B? We do ten generally? days, yeah. Ten days, right. Okay. Last thing we're going to go out with today is uh, with a couple of more episodes of Kirk lined up, we thought it will be tribute time song uh, for Kirk. And uh, we did sort of today, well, well, coincidentally, we talked about Heaven Sent Before B with Kirk. I know. Um, but we are also uh, wanting to sort of acknowledge something off the album Switch, which I think Kirk, you know, goes on to talk about, uh, et cetera, there in future episodes. But he really did enjoy the making of the album. And he had a song on there, uh, Like It or Not, which was uh, co-written by a guy called Huey, who Kirk himself produced an album for them uh, many years ago. But this one, when I listen to it, is a really good up-tempo rock. I think JD does a good job. The production on it is as close to JD sounding like Michael, I think, at any other song off Switch. And not that that's a bonus, but for somebody who loves Michael, it probably is a bonus, you know, if it sounds a bit more like Michael. But um, it is a bit of an up-tempo uh, up uh, rocker, and it is a song that I know Kirk was particularly proud of. So I guess we're going to go out with that today, B. and uh, I guess it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody.
Woohoo. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>